welcome to the third episode of the sixth season of Plebs on Footy podcast. I'm your host, Rory O'Kane, and as always, I'm joined by Scott Fotheringham. Hello, Banjo. We are two rounds into the season, and I am already so sick of your face. How many times have I seen you over the last few days? Plus, we have to bloody message all the time in between it, planning and all of that sort of stuff. I, I don't know how I'm going to last this year. I really don't. Yeah, I was talking to Courtney about uh, how I was enjoying the, doing the podcast this year, and I said, I'm fairly certain by the end of it, I'll be sick of it and not really want to talk to Scott anymore. But uh, at the moment, it's fine. But we're walking on thin ice, I think. I've genuinely <coughs> lost count of how many times I've seen you. We don't work together or anything like that, but I think I've seen you nearly every second day of the last few weeks. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So, I mean, when we have a, a recording on a, a Thursday night or a commentary on a Thursday night, then another one on the Sunday, and then we're backing it up with another podcast on the Monday. Uh, yeah, it's getting a bit much. And I'm pleased. I, I think we're going to have a little break from each other over the next few days before doing our commentary on the weekend. But, look, speaking of commentary, we had our big hijack TV debut followed up by yeah, a double act doing it at the end of the weekend as well with the Sunday night game. How did you enjoy our, our hijack TV uh, performances, Banjo? Look, I'm not good. Not one to pat myself on the back, but uh, I think we're getting a lot better at it. Uh, we were a bit more, uh, a bit more focused on the game at times that not once did we mention Aaron Norton's headband on Sunday night. So uh, I thought we kept <laughs> our focus a bit better. That that doesn't necessarily mean you were, you're patting us on the back, considering we may have started from a very low rung and it's just a slight improvement. We definitely started from a very low rung. Yeah. Look, I, look, I will concede I was pretty cooked after a long day at work uh, on Thursday. So it was good to be able to do it with a bit of a clearer head on, on the Sunday. Um, and yeah, I thought it was quite good. We improved our listenership. We went from a max of five on the Thursday to a max of six on the Sunday. Incredible so, uh, stuff. We are a juggernaut. Time, by the end of the year, we'll have like... 20 listeners. <laughs> which is if we get to that cool. point, I'll genuinely be staggered. But we're having fun. We're doing it. It's there for anyone who wants to listen to it. And it's, you know, more sensical than whatever uh, BT is saying. So, which, again, very low bar. Yeah, and good. Give us a plug, Banjo. What are we doing next week? We have had these discussions. What, what game are we doing? Yeah, we're going to do the, uh, the battle of the new entrance into the competition, even though that was about 10 years ago. We've got uh, the GWS Gold Coast game at 4.35 uh, on Saturday. Pretty mediocre. Uh, look, the t- those two teams, for some reason, always interest me. But it's not a it's not a fantastic sort of game. But anyway, we'll have some... No, problems. you're genuinely not going to look at anything other than how Cornelio's playing. And I've accepted that I've got to carry the load a bit next week. Yes, it's going to be Cornelio Watch for my end of things. And uh, everyone's going to enjoy that. How did you go with uh, North Melbourne uh, yesterday? That must have been a pretty horrendous game to have to watch. Yeah, uh, not just to have to watch, to have to care about. <laughs> um, it just felt so flat. I don't, like, There was just, one, there weren't many people there because, I mean, it's a North Melbourne West Coast game. It's never a big crowd, well, in Melbourne anyway. And two, just the, all the COVID stuff just completely sucked the air out of the game. There were... Two of our better players to watch got injured as well. So that was sort of a lot of sort of anxiety in the air about injuries from the North crowd's perspective. Pretty much the only person that got anyone excited uh, in the crowd was uh, 
Jason Horn Francis, which yeah, uh, we are definitely to... a bit over the top with. But you've got a fun. standing ovation every time he touched the ball. It's pathetic that you've got to do that. Come on. It was a sitting ovation from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would have got around it. I know that. Look, um, I, look, I, I have... thought he was going to kick that goal when he hit the post. Oh, my God, did I go off. <laughs> I have experienced those sorts of games in the past where it's just like, a horrible thing to have to go into because there is so much to lose and just nothing to game out out of them. And look, we did lose one, if you recall, in round two against the Essendon top-up teams uh, in that year. So that was it was pretty horrific. So look, to be honest, I understood what you were going through. My heart reached out to you slightly, but thank God you actually got the win because it, it was a grind of a game. So I yeah. genuinely wouldn't have shown up to your house if we'd lost. <laughs> like. <laughs> I left a big family occasion, and the last words out of my mouth before I left was, if we don't win this, you'll never see me again. Thank God you did. But anyway, Banjo, I think it's time to uh, to get into the pod. Yeah, so we're going to start with your favourite segment and my least favourite segment, Gold Jacket, Green Jacket. Yes, it's some very exciting stuff to begin the uh, the podcast this time, Banjo. We're, we're bringing it back. You, you gave me a bit of criticism on the Hijack TV commentary that we hadn't been going with Gold Jacket, Green Jacket. So I was determined to bring it back this week. And I recognize that you, we've had a bit of a, a disrupted sort of schedule over the last couple of years. So our listeners are going to need a very in-detail explanation of what this segment is for everyone who is listening. The segment banjo, it comes from the line in Happy Gilmore, gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit. Everyone should fast forward about 30 seconds. And what we do is we give three, two, one votes for the most meaningless games of the round. So this was an interesting round, Banjo, because there were some extremely interesting games, some extremely weird games. And then there were also a lot of really boring ones. So there actually were a lot of options to go with the uh, the gold jacket, green jacket. But... I, I had you have a bit of a guess of what it was and you were wildly wrong. I have an objective formula for calculating what is a meaningless game. So it always spits out the absolutely correct answers. So let's go through it a little bit. We've got one vote, Banjo, we're giving to Richmond versus GWS. This was a particularly boring game, I have to be honest. I did sit down and watch this one. Uh, it was not particularly thrilling. Uh, GWS were extremely uninspiring, to be honest with you. I suppose yeah. there is some interest in the sense that Richmond had their injuries and they managed to pull off a win. Yeah, that was the only interesting part of that game. Yeah, it was a little bit of an upset. I, I, I will say that, and that was factored into the formula, but it still managed to squeeze in for a vote. All I did watching this game, as you know, is I just watched Stephen Canelio, and that was uh, great to watch because he played pretty well, and it's good to see him back playing some good football. But aside from that, some concerns for GWS, a good win for Richmond, but it was a pretty boring game at a pretty boring margin and wasn't worth too much of a watch. All right? Moving on, to, moving on to two votes. I'm giving this one to Collingwood and Adelaide. There was one interesting thing to come out of this game, and we're going to talk about it later in our in our next segment, I think next segment, or maybe the one afterwards, in that there was this false alarm at the MCG, which was a bit interesting for a few minutes. Aside from that, Banjo, predictable result, pretty boring margin. It probably was a little bit more of a, a comfortable win for Collingwood than perhaps you would have thought. 42 points is pretty comprehensive. I mean, they're second on the ladder now, so with a decent percentage from it, I'd... I feel like Collingwood supporters would be happy about how they're going and think that that's a bit more of a story than we're giving them credit for. 
Oh, they'd be happy about it in general, but I don't think they'd come out of this game with their minds being blown as to how good the performance was. <laughs> That's probably and fair. Look, once again, wasn't a, a particularly thrilling game. Collingwood are playing a pretty good, attractive brand of football to watch, so that gave a little bit of interest, but it was pretty much exactly the result which you expected. So that's got two votes. So I'm sure you're wondering what's going to end up getting the three votes, Banjo. And this is a very important way to start the season for me because as I said off the start, we have an objective formula. It spits out exactly Mm. what the most meaningless games of the round was. And I have no bias. So I'm kind of happy to say to start the season (laughs) that uh, the Gold Jacket, Green Jacket, three votes is going to Melbourne and the Gold Coast where Melbourne defeated Gold Coast by 13 points. So to those teams, we say... Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm quite surprised by this one. I, I mean, Gold Coast, the perennial losers of the competition, getting within 13 points of the reigning premiers, and they should have won according to expected score. I feel like that's quite interesting. And it might just be because I didn't watch the game because I was watching the Port Hawthorne game instead. But uh, I don't know. I've got quite a quite an interest in how this one panned out. I think that uh, you have more bias towards Gold Coast than I have towards Melbourne. Uh, you, for some reason, you find that's, Gold Coast very interesting, and I, I don't know why. That is but 100% true. <laughs> the important thing, I think, to say, I mean, you, you didn't watch this game. It was a bit of a grind. At no yeah. stage, look, I will go on to talk about Gold Coast later, and I'm happy to say that I was reasonably impressed with them, and I think it was a pretty good performance, but... At no stage did they look like they were going to win it. They kicked the first two goals. We responded. We got a few goals up. It pretty much stayed at that margin the whole way through. There were a few times we kicked a couple of quick ones and it looked like we might blow them away. They did well to respond, but at no stage did it look like they were going to win it. And from about halfway through the third quarter, it was a weird game, actually. Both teams like just looked absolutely cooked. I think it yeah. was like really humid up there. Um, on the Gold Coast, and yeah, well, Max Gorn Coast, came out and said that's why he dropped every mark he went for. It seemed with Max that he went through a patch in the game where he was just burning off wits, running from one end of the ground to the other, and kept dropping the mark. And then after that, it just seemed like he'd spent all his tickets, and he was just exhausted for the rest <laughs> of the game. He didn't play very well. Luckily, Dogma played out. He hasn't had a great start to the year. Just he hasn't had the best start to the year. It's okay. He's a champ. He'll be fine. <laughs> um, but look. Melbourne ended up winning. I think the last quarter and a half, we pretty much just grounded out and we were happy to just defend and just get the win. Gold Coast had a crack, but they weren't able to sort of put the score on the board. And when it ends, Melbourne got the job done. I don't think we're going to be talking about this in a few weeks' time or towards the end of the season. It's just going to be one of those games that happens. So for that reason, that's the Gold Jacket, Green Jacket game of the round. And uh, it's good to have uh, finally unveiled it for the uh, season of 2022. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to speak about this game again. So that probably says it should get three votes. So I guess it's time to move on. It's time for my favorite segment. And again, I think we're bringing this back. We may have had it in the first podcast of the year. I don't really remember. Make sure you describe it for our listeners, Banjo, anyway. (laughs) It has been a long time between drinks. But it's time for the Cane Corns Call of the Week, where we take the biggest and boldest and probably worst call made in the media all week, and we have a bit of a chuckle at it. And then we do our best Cane Corns impression and start to get something inflammatory going, see if we can't spark a bit of discussion between ourselves. Can I Can I just chip in a little bit here, Banjo? Mm-hmm. Now, I know I mentioned this during our uh, Hijack TV commentary, but I do also recognise yeah. that we had six listeners then and we probably got about <laughs> six million listening at the moment. So it's very, very important 
that I, I go over it with them as well because there was mm-hmm. something worried me a lot during the week, Banjo. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Tim and Gary on SEN Breakfast. Yes, Absolutely you are. Love them. The other day or the other morning, they came out with some new segment which they're bringing to the table this year and they're calling it Overreaction of the Week. And I listened Ooh. to it, Banjo. And it sounded frightfully like the Cane Corns big call of the week. Ooh. Pretty much, they just went through the u- the usual suspects. They went through there was Caro, and there was I think there was Derm and uh, David King and Cane Corns and all of those people, and talked about all their big calls during the week and had a laugh at them for having gone over the top. This sounds like plagiarism. Uh, extremely like plagiarism. Mm. I would like. I'm almost certain that Gary sits down and listens to the Plebs on Footy podcast. I, I don't know how that else makes sense. they could have thought of such a segment. So I suppose I will say that uh, it's, it's a little bit flattering, but um, we'll continue with our segment considering that we uh, we began it. Yeah, I know. The original's always the best. There's like, it, it doesn't matter how many cheap imitators you get. I mean, original is the way to go. And so we're going to persevere, stamp our claim, and back in our wide-ranging reach to crush them. Because, you know, if there's one thing we have over them is listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. Far more listeners. But And I think we've got a pretty good uh, Cane Corns, which we picked up from the media this week, which you uh, sent through to me at some stage. We do. And I this was so good that I sent it through just to talk about it. I wasn't even thinking about a Cane Corns, because it is an absurd comment. And it's from one of our favourites, Damien Barrett. And it's in one of the best vehicles for a Cane Corns Call of the Week, and that is Sliding Doors, which is just an article full of 18 takes a week. It's great. <laughs> we, we probably do need to utilise that more. I feel like we've been trying to get a little bit off the beaten track. Like, it's too obvious to go yep. for all the big calls from Sliding Doors, considering that's the purpose of it. But we do need to keep in mind, whenever we don't have one, just uh, break glass in case of emergency. And there it's... are always some good ones on that article. I mean, Damien Barrett, just full stop, is the most abundant source of a bad take in the AFL. So, yeah. And these ones are written down very conveniently for us. But he's gone very, very hard after Thursday Night Football last week. And he said, if Charlie Kerno hadn't broken down in round 15, 2019, then we may have already been talking about him as the best forward in the comp. That conversation is going to start soon. Brilliant on Thursday night against the Dogs. Match winner with five goals. That's nonsense. I think we well, we also talked about this a little bit in our commentary, the thing with uh, Kerno, how he's one of those players where he's been out with injury and as a result, it feels like sort of opinion on him has inflated a little Absolutely. bit whilst he's been injured. Since he's come back, he played the last month of last year, was pretty average, had a I mean, poor round one. To be fair. Yeah, I, look, I, I know that, but had a poor round one. He's had one good game. And he's got a bloke standing next to him on the forward line who's had a season of terrific football, winning the Coleman medal. Reigning Coleman medalist. Yes, being quite possibly the best key forward in the competition. And he's saying it about Kerno. He's just, he is one of those hype players, isn't he, Kerno? Yeah. And uh, like that, I mean, it's just a ridiculously early call. It is the sort of thing which we would use as a Kane Corns big call of the week just to try to get a laugh out of the other one. Yeah, not, not to mention like, he wouldn't have been better than what Tom Hawkins has been the last couple of years. Buddy, when he's played, he wouldn't have been better then. Not to mention any smaller forwards we want to throw out there, like Toby Green. What is this comment? It's just not remotely plausible. It's only been 
two years he was out of the game. It's not like he would have ascended unbelievably. He's not better than Max King at the moment. Like, what is going on? Yeah, look, I, I have no doubt. I, I firmly believe that he is a very talented footballer. But oh, he's really good. <laughs> to say it after, yeah, that sort of injury and to come back and to play one good game and then to decide to uh, lift it to those heights to suggest he's going to be one of the... Uh, He's going to be the best key forward in the competition. It's just like, yeah, Kane Corns 101. Just try to get a a slight a slight truth in that there is a talented player and then try mm-hmm. to lift it to the uh, the yeah. absolute nth degree. Yeah. The Kane Corns call of the week is built on hyperbole. It's 100% what it is. And there is that is a perfect example of it. If he is a top 10 key forward in the com- competition, Carlton are laughing. Yeah, because then they've got two of them. <laughs> so... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've no doubt he's going to be good, but a little bit extreme. Am I starting with my uh, my big call, Banjo? As we discussed, yes, you are. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure you're the host. I don't like to uh, trample on your toes. I want to make sure that you're directing uh, traffic. I'm a little less prideful than you are, Scott. I don't get insulted as easily. <laughs> Look, I was a little bit more uh, up on the one which I'm bringing to the table than you were. So hopefully <laughs> my one's quite good and gets a bit of a chuckle out of you. Banjo, I've decided, I watched something on a, on Friday night, Banjo, which mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of positive talk about for the most part, but I think that that crowd invasion to celebrate Buddy Franklin's 1,000th uh, goal, I think it was an absolute blight on the game. <laughs> it is a disgrace. It is anarchy. It's dangerous. It distressed the players. It, it, it was it was shot. There were people bloody throwing ashes out onto the ground. I was thinking to myself, I, I think ESPN will probably show this at some point during the week, and I will be ashamed to be a supporter of Australian rules football when they have that sort of anarchy going out on the field. That was it was ridiculous, Banjo. People could have got seriously hurt. I I, I think it is, an, it is an absolute disgrace. I think some would say that it's actually it, it's a Malcolm blight on the game, and. Oh, uh, I'm not happy with it. It Mate, needs to be stamped out. Never again. As Lee Matthews has already said to all the naysayers about the crowd invasion, harden up. Like, grow up, Ed. This, this was, there were, nothing went wrong. Stop being a mixed oh. mouth. No one brought a knife. No one got stabbed. It was fine. It's the never players were getting again. cleaned up left, right, and center. They've said that they were scared for their safety. Buddy looked notice- noticeably distressed for most of it. And not to mention the COVID issues, Banjo. I mean, if, if yeah. the entire St Kilda team, Sydney team, are uh, wiped out with COVID for next week, I will not be shocked in the slightest. Like, yeah, I've already people seen, around the ground hugging I've, them. I've already seen sort of social media mentions of people who like did crowd invasion stuff uh, having positive COVID tests. So that's very plausible. Yeah, the, both teams are probably all going to be wiped out with COVID mm. next week. It, it, it is an absolute disgrace. I, I am quite ashamed. Um, and, yeah, it was an absolute Malcolm on the game. That's my call. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I like the energy you brought. Mine is I'm going with a tried and true uh, Kane Corns format for myself. Mm-hmm. I've said this a number of times. And I said it most notably about Simon Goodwin every no, second week for about. You're not two saying years. he deserves to be sacked again. Please. No, I'm pivoting. I'm pivoting. I've Bevo, just cast, my, cast my eye somewhere else. Nope. Not Bevo. Ben Hinkley is on his last chance wow. to loon here. Yeah, okay. He can't have an actual. He's got to get past a prelim at minute, but he has to win the flag. Otherwise, they're going to have to rebuild very shortly. 
Robbie Gray, Travis Spoke, absolute last legs for those fellas. He can't have a third rebuild. That's too long for a guy that's never been able to get over the hump. This is do or die for Ken Hinckley, and that is my Kane Corns call of the week. He's been quite an in, quite an interesting sort of case study over the last few years because it, it was probably fascinating career. Three or four years ago, those calls started to suggest mm. that his job is in trouble, and then probably for three or four years, he has exceeded expectations and has continued to sort of tick boxes and to maintain yep. his job, but regardless, every year we still seem to be talking about his job because it gets to a point in which you think, like you say, oh, they, they missed the eight. They have to make finals. They go ahead and make finals. Then you think, oh, now they have to be top four. They go ahead yeah. and make top four. Now they have to win a premiership and he's just not having that progression which is expected of him. Look, I, I have no doubt he's, he's under the pump as well. Port Adelaide are a very um, emotional I mean, Koshi has put him under the pump. On a number Any of Any chance he yes. can. Yes. <laughs> like, it has not helped. It's favourite thing to do. But uh, so, I think he's kind of like a rich man's Brad Scott at the moment. He's, I think he's a good coach, but he hasn't actually been able to win anything. He hasn't been able to turn out any like particularly great years that have made the grand final. He's performed a lot better in a regular season, but he's at the same point where 10 years in the job without anything to show for it, it there's, there's just a clock ticking on his career. What what has to anyway. what has to be taken into account with him is when him and Koshi effectively kind of sort of took mm. over the club that they were in a really really yeah. bad position, um, and I think he um, he speaks with a lot of passion and a lot of vigor and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, he and it genuinely has, loves that club. Yeah, it, it, it's in, it's inspired quite a lot of enthusiasm around the club, and the club is in a far better place than it was. Mm. So I think he has something to show for it. But obviously, the, the number one thing is winning premierships. And if he's not doing that, and if the club believe that they have a premiership winning list and they're not doing that, then yes, he will be in trouble. But what the important thing is that you do put a mark on this uh, Kane Corns big call, Banjo. What do you think? Is he going to be sacked? Should he be sacked? What sort well, of uh, emphasis are you putting on it? The way they're playing... He will be sacked. Like, okay. You can't lose to Hawthorne. No, don't put any disclaimers on it. You're saying he will be sacked this year. Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll get my David Teague on, and I'll yes. say he'll be sacked by the end okay. of the year. By the end after of the year. They, right. After they miss finals. I'll, I'll put it in the book, Banjo. Good to see <laughs> you coming to the table with a big one. Absolutely. I delivered. Not sure about you. Oh, mine was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, time to move on to our next segment, and it's a brand new one, and I'm pretty proud of it, if I'm honest. It is quite exciting this week, Banjo. We've actually got, and look, I've said to you in the past that uh, our creativity is probably our biggest downfall as a podcast. Mm. We have a few good segments, but we haven't been able to add to them. And we've actually got, in the back half of this podcast, we've got two brand new segments. Now, the next one which you're taking, which was your idea, I think that will be an ongoing uh, semi-regular segment. This one I must... Yeah, if we have another reason to do this segment... Yeah. It's a talking point. This one, which was my idea, was fairly inspired by this particular week. But look, we'll see how we go. And we've actually got a title for this segment. We're calling it the the Ash Barty Weird Occurrences of the Week. Because I feel like this was beginning with Ash and her retirement and how bloody weird that was. This ended, this ended up becoming one of the weirdest weeks I've ever seen in football. And we'll get into all of that. Did you want to have a quick comment on Ash to start? I know we're a football podcast, but... What were your initial views on her retirement? Yeah, it's not often that we have an occasion to talk about something that's non-football related, but 
God, when was the last time you saw an athlete at the absolute pinnacle of their sport retire for no reason really other than they wanted to? They, She's young. She's playing well. It doesn't seem like it's a mental health thing or anything like what Naomi Osaka's going through. Yeah. She just doesn't want to do it anymore. And I'm yeah. so conditioned. And we all are about sort of work ethic around athletes and wanting it more. And that's what makes a great athlete. And that's what sort of that kind of culture feeds into how we judge people full stop at the moment. Mm. But, and so my initial reaction was like, oh, that's such a bummer. I'm sort of disappointed. I wanted to watch her play more. What a shame. But the more I think about it, the more I just think, good on her. Like, I wish I could retire at 25 because that would have been two years ago. Yeah, I'm definitely on that side of things. And there is an element of what we say, which is that winning covers over everything. And the fact Mm. that she was winning, that we're more... Like, if she was losing, we wouldn't have been happy with her making this decision. But I I think it makes logical sense that that is the case. The fact that she did clearly commit herself to an extremely high level to her sport. She put a lot of time into it. She's a real thinker of the game. um, And she was able to get herself to that high level. And then to be able to have the the guts to be able to say, you know what, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I've achieved what I want to achieve. I want to do something else with my life. That That's really cool. That's, that's actually awesome that she can do that. And the fact that she also, um, throughout all of this, demonstrated herself to be the sort of person who we can hear that and we can be like, okay, I kind of, I see where she's coming from. Yeah. She's always been someone who's about her, her personal life and that there are things more important than, than tennis. Um, so it's pretty cool. Look, she may come back one day and like, I hope she does because it's exciting actually having Great a tennis player <laughs> who we like to support in Australian tennis. But um, I like all Australian players, Scott. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but you just like dickheads. So I actually like Ash as opposed to many of the other uh, Australian tennis players. But look, hopefully she does sort of come back one day. But yeah, good on her. I'm sure she's going to do something with her life. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, it's like she's already played elite level cricket. She's a just incredible person. There's rumors about her playing AFLW yeah. uh, to, you know, tie it back to the, what this podcast is about. But I can't wait to see what she does, be it sport, be it something sort of more ambassadorial. Yeah, I think well, she'll do something important. I'd certainly get around her getting involved in the AFLW. But look, we just, probably should get... get... She might play for Richmond, though. Yeah. Well, would she yeah. be able to? Is, is that Would she be able to select Richmond to play for? I, like... I, I feel like the AFL would bend a rule for it. And probably. to be honest, that would immediately make me dislike her. Don't she... care that you won the Australian <laughs> Open. No. She did present a trophy to them, even though she's never played a game for them or anything like that. Yeah, but anyway... That was, that was pushing the limits. Yeah, look, let's move on. Let, let's start talking about some football. And I... I think one of the reasons why I thought of this segment, talking about the weird occurrences which have happened this week, is I, obviously Saturday night, I was watching the Melbourne game. And after the game, I go and I I click on uh, the app to have a look at what happened in the other game. And I see very surprisingly that Hawthorne absolutely annihilated Port Adelaide. And then I looked a little bit closer at it and I thought, oh, I'll have a look at the stats to try to figure out in what aspect of the game that they sort of got on top. And the stats tell you in absolutely no part of the game whatsoever. I'll give you some of the stats, Banjo. Port Adelaide had 416 disposals to 342 of Hawthorns. They had 12 more inside 50s. They won the clearances by 24. (laughs) They had eight more contested possessions. And on top of that, they also had 19 more tackles. You look at the team list and you think... Every one of the players you want Port Adelaide to play well did. 
the first four leading possession getters are Boak, Amon, Wines, and Butters, all with very high possession counts. We then have Hawthorne, who have Mitchell with 28, which is pretty average by his standards. And then we look Below down at Warple, 22, O'Meara, 22. Can, I obviously didn't watch the game. Can you explain to me how the hell Port, uh, Hawthorne ended up beating Port Adelaide by over 10 goals? I, I can't figure it out. Yeah, I unfortunately had the pleasure of watching this with Hawthorne supporters, and it was very, very, very distressing. Uh, I w- this annoyed me more than getting hit by small children all night at the family function I was at. <laughs> this was distressing to watch. But the big stat is Hawthorne kicked nine goals from defensive 50. Like, that is that, very that's high, unheard man. Of, and that's re- ridiculous. That is terrible from Port. Like, you the lack of forward pressure, the lack of accountability through the midfield, it's just disgusting. And without a Lear, their defense just didn't hold up at all. And plus, Hawthorne kicked 14 goals straight from set shots. Surely the loss of a Lear <laughs> can't be the, the sole excuse or reason for that. Yeah, because they had a good defense the year before <laughs> when, yeah. when he wasn't there. But well, yeah, but all he te- was sorely missed. Yeah, all teams now have a full-team defense. And surely yeah. there was something going seriously wrong with that sort of setup. Because if they're winning the contest and they're winning the stoppages, they're getting first look at it. They're getting it in their forward line. And every team in... Their forward line was completely dysfunctional. No Dixon. Georgiades is not yet ready to be a number one key forward. Todd Marshall never will be. And Jeremy Finlayson, Mm -hmm. again, is not the type of number one key forward marking target that you want. They've got too many sort of... Mm ideally third tall types at the moment. I do think Georgiades might be there eventually, but without Dixon yeah. to give them structure, it just looks miserable up forward. I mean, yeah, that that's AFL coaching 101 these days. Is you, you win the stoppage, you get it in the forward line, you lock it in, mm. um, and you manage to set up a zone defense which allows that to occur. If Hawthorne were able to pick through it that easily, despite yeah. having so little supply... Um, from the initial stoppage, uh, that that's insane. So, like in any ordinary week, I would say that that is one of the weirdest things I've seen in AFL football. But there are actually three things which I think are astronomically weirder. And what I yeah. want to do, Banjo, is I want to go through those three things, have a bit of a discussion about them. But at mm-hmm. the end of it all, is I want you to give me your three, two, one for what you think are the weirdest things to have come out of the round of football. We'll go through uh, sort of chronologically how they happen. And obviously, we'll start off with Friday night, which was the uh, the crowd invasion situation after Buddy Thousand's goal. Now, obviously, we have seen crowd invasions in the past. That has happened. However, we have never seen anything like the scale <laughs> that that was on. The extreme almost ferocity in which the crowd ran out, how they were already on the ground before he I'm surprised he someone didn't get trampled, honestly. What did he, I mean, like, what if he missed it? Like, they, they would have had to jump back over the fence. Does like, everyone who was already on the ground get fined? Like, uh, Yeah, exactly. It, it was at, it was insanity. And, yeah, there are even weirder things which have come into it as we've gone along. We have the, uh, the Ashes situation in which someone went out there and actually scattered their loved one's ashes out on the ground. Um, yeah, that's weird is, as hell. That's, yeah, that's just... That's unbelievable. That's, That's <laughs> There are some strange, strange people in this world. I know you've enjoyed the story of uh, who were the two players are outside, Warner like, and Florence, was it? Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> they got how, lost. How did they, <laughs> they manage to do that? Week. 
Did they just go off at the nearest possible exit they could find? Yeah, they, they, they tried to go down the ramp back to the rooms, but they turned down the wrong one and ended out on the street. Yeah, they're actually in their boots and full kit. Yeah. It's just boots and full. Imagine, yeah, it, it's like, um, you know, have you seen the movie Birdman? No, I don't know. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, um, the, the yeah. way when, when no, there's the scene yeah. where he's, yeah, he's in the play and he accidentally yeah, he gets like his uh, robe caught in the door and he ends up walking out through like New York naked. It was, it would have been that sort of feeling for people outside being like, what the hell are these Sydney players doing out here? We also had the uh, the Zach Tui uh, incident in which uh, a, play, a, a supporter almost cleaned him up and lost their wallet in the meantime. So he picked them up and found them in the crowd again. I've got to say, good blow. I don't think I would have done that in that situation. I would have been like... Oh, I may have handed it to a security guard or yeah, something. Yeah, that's I probably don't think what I would have done. I don't think I would have looked for a yeah. guy. I mean, it has to get off the ground anyway, eventually. Yeah. Like, they've got to clean up. But <laughs> I don't think I would have gone out of my way to find the guy. Especially yeah. after he ran into me. I think from the way Tui said, it wasn't a glancing blow or anything. Yeah, apparently, yeah, he hit him pretty hard. And uh, so it was one of those situations where watching it was obviously just insane. Like, what the hell mm. is going on? But even in the days after that, there's been even weirder stories coming out of it. So one of the weirder things I can remember happening in AFL That's going to be hard to beat. The second one I've got was the next day. And it was the false alarm at the MCG, in which I think it was halfway through the second quarter, there was some smoke going off in a kitchen or something. It was steam. It wasn't smoke. Yep. Set off an alarm all around the ground. All the players have to huddle in the middle of the ground. The crowd starts evacuating the ground before they get something up on the board saying, yeah, it was actually a false alarm. You can come back. That is extremely weird. I thought the the lightning incident last year, the Melbourne West Coast game, oh, yep. when they went off for lightning, that was weird. I think this is probably weirder because there's actually like human error involved in this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that uh, that's a ripper as well. And look, the 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 third one is uh yeah one which is close to your heart, Banjo. It's the whole West Coast <laughs> situation, which was another one which kind of weird, the kind of weird that made North Melbourne <laughs> finally win a game. It was kind of similar to the Buddy one in that, in and of itself, you followed the news, you watched the reports, you watched a bit of the game, and you thought, this is so weird. But the more that you dug into it, you actually realised that there was even weirder stories to it all. I mean, I think it hit me just how odd it was Mm. when I had to send you a message saying, one, is this the Aaron Black that used to play for North Melbourne? And two, is this the Declan Mountford that used to play for North Melbourne? And 50% of that was was accurate. Yeah, and the Aaron Black one was hilarious because not only did Jonathan Ralph get it wrong in the lead-up to the game saying it was the did Aaron Black. Did you call him Jonathan year. Ralph? I did. I did. I don't know why. Is that, is that a normal thing. thing you call him? Is that his name? Probably. <laughs> Actually, it probably isn't. It's probably just John Ralph. But anyway... <laughs> Anyway, in the lead up to the game, he just made the mistake and assumed it was the North Melbourne Aaron Black, who I'm pretty sure is now Geelong's VFL side coaching or something like that. Okay, uh, it's not. It's a guy that won the Sandover Medal at 19 years old and has been stuck in the waffle for 10 years. The guy then played very well, kicked a goal, it was absolutely swamped on the ground. Obviously, his yeah. brother was in the stands and <laughs> took his shirt off and went absolutely crazy. And on the scoreboard, they showed a photo of all his stats as they do after someone kicks a goal. And they used the photo of the North Melbourne Aaron Black, <laughs> who clearly wasn't the same guy on the screen. I can't. Uh, I, 
I saw his name on the sheet and I presumed it was the same Aaron Black until I was listening to the game and the commentator said something about the amount of possessions that he's been getting in the waffle. Yeah. I thought, oh, that wouldn't be the key forward, Aaron Black. This has to be no. someone new. The, um, the the other classic with the Mountford situation was apparently he was uh, in the lift with Dermot like half an hour before the game, not expected to play. Um, and there was the late out, another out, um, yeah. as late an out as there can possibly be with Jackson Nelson going out injured. Mountford comes into the game. He played all right as well. He did a few good things. I actually rated him, and I was quite surprised when he got cut by North. Yeah. Well, they, they legitimately had to do, like, a meet and greet yeah. like, before the game. It, extraordinary scenes. It felt a lot like when I played thirds football, to be honest. Yeah. I yeah, went into desperation, mate. We're short. We're not going to be able to field the team. Yep. Could you come down and play? And I don't yep. leave the forward pocket. Yep. I feel yeah. like for the first time, elite level athletes have understood what my life's like. And everyone just sort of pats you on the back just for turning up and having a crack. Like yeah. if anyone stuffed it up, they weren't going to berate any of those players. They were like, thank you so much for being here and for trying. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of respect for you for doing that. I mean, Simo basically said that at the end of his press conference. He was like, these guys are West Coast players for life. <laughs> you play one game, you're part of the club and thank you for doing your job. Like, yeah. It was incredible. In- incredible. It's the scenes. highlight of their life. So what are you saying, Banjo? What are the three, two, one you're giving out of them? I feel like, well, so I feel like the false alarm any other week is automatically number one. Yes. That's, getting, that, that's clearly third for me. Like, there's only one layer to that and it is miles behind the other two. The other two is a top up, but I do think we might see something similar to the West Coast COVID situation again. That's that true. feels replicable. I know maybe not to the same level, maybe not with all the layers about like confusing them with uh, former players from the opposite <laughs> yeah. team. But it does feel yeah. like we could, I mean, Sydney, we kind of expect to have a bunch of COVID cases next week. So maybe we'll have something similar. Yeah. Yeah. But the buddy goal that we may never see another crowd invasion in our lifetime for a thousand goals. We might have to start doing it for 500 just to get one going. I mean, and all the layers to that, like the ashes what the hell? I <laughs> I still can't comprehend what that yeah, is about. Players getting lost and getting outside of the ground. It doesn't feel like that'd be possible at the MCG, so I'm not even sure how they've done that. And yeah. there's actually a wallet one. He's probably but the most normal part of that whole thing because I feel like I've heard stories about him doing that in the past. But... <laughs> You know, that's still incredibly weird. And it's just the third most weird thing about it. So I'm giving it to the ground invasion after yeah. Buddy's thousand goal. Yeah. That was just bizarre. I think I'm in agreement with you. But all three of those things in any ordinary week would have been so bizarre and out of the blue. It, it, it's been a, a very, very weird week in AFL football, which is why we've had a good uh, segment of the Ash Barty weird occurrences of the week. So it was good to unveil that one. Yeah, I kind of hope we get a run that again because it's quite a fun segment. (laughs) Hopefully some weird stuff goes down later in the year. Absolutely. I don't think we'll ever beat that for just how weird it was, but we might have to lower our standards. But let's move on to the next segment. It's a brand new segment as well, one I came up with, and it's called Do You Believe? 
So welcome to our new segment, Do You Believe, with that fantastic theme song that you made, Scott. And honestly, I am so impressed by it. You put in some effort, and it's incredible. You would be extremely impressed. Now, look, I have to be fair to you, Banjo. You did think of the idea of the segment. You also did think of having uh, Cher involved. But I got home uh, after work, and I had about half an hour before the podcast. I thought, I'm going to do a bit of tweaking around with it. And I was pretty happy with the product, so I thought I'd, I'd surprise you with it um and yeah look i need a big pat on the back from uh from you do need a big pat on the back that is the that <laughs> that is the best thing you've ever done for this podcast yep. i well, i'm in- incredibly impressed look uh, at you uh, showing effort you're running the whole hijack tv thing yeah contributing to the pot mm-hmm. it's i mean i'm amazed taking over as leader banjo you should get nervous absolutely maybe you'll have to introduce <laughs> the next podcast but uh <laughs> So the aim of the game is we're just going to throw some topics at each other and figure out, do we believe they're going to last for the entire year or are they sort of short sample size theatre, small sample size theatre, where it's just we've seen a couple of outlier performances and we don't think they're actually going to last the entire season. So I'm going to get started and I'm calling these the comeback kids because there's quite a few players who had down years last year who have really, really stamped their authority on the game again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to... Patrick Cripps. Do you believe in Patrick Cripps' resurgence? Yes, I absolutely believe in Patrick Cripps' resurgence. His last couple of weeks have been insane. We've seen it from him in the past, and for that reason, we have enough of a sample to know that it is it can last. And yeah, he will be right up there in the Brownlow this year. I definitely, definitely believe in Cripps. Agreed. And he, the thing is, he looks exactly the same as when he was sort of thereabouts for the Brownlow. It doesn't like, it's not like he's completely changed his game and it's a new Patrick Cripps. It's the same old Patrick Cripps. He can yeah. just move again. He's just got the spark and the acceleration and the drive back. He, he, he looks like the player he used to be. So yes, I do believe that. Fantastic. Lockie Neal. Do you believe in Lockie Neal? Uh, I think I always believed in Lockie Neal. I'm probably someone who was of the view that he just had one down year due to injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's back to the level he was at a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I, I don't have too much hesitation to say that he's back. Whether he's, you know, the best player in the competition, I think we talked about this a bit in the commentary, how these days we seem to have this expectation that you need to be one of those inside balls who goes forward and plays at full forward. I know Neil has kicked some goals, but he hasn't quite been in the same mould as the, you know, the, the Dusty Petrarca sort of stuff. So, I don't know if I'd say he's the best player in the comp, but he's up in the top handful. So, yes, I do believe in uh, in Lockie Neal. Honestly, if he can get back to the level he was in 2020, Brisbane will probably win the premiership because that was just an incredible season from him. And I don't think it's fair to expect that from him, but he's closer to it, or as close to it as you can possibly expect from him. So, again, I agree. He is back. Now, here's one where we're going to lean hard into your bias. Mm-hmm. Stephen Cornelio. He's had the more torrid t- No one's had a more torrid time for the last two years than Stephen Cornelio. Is he back? Look, outside of the Melbourne Football Club, I don't think I have been on board with any story as much as I am on board with the uh, Stephen Cornelio resurgence. I'm so desperate for it to happen, and I'm watching him so closely. <laughs> He's still being played a fair chunk forward. He's not quite as good as he was at his best. But I'm telling you, like I watched him very closely yesterday. He looks like a different player to how he looked in the last couple of years. He's moving well. He's creating good space. He's sharp in the contest. He's running hard forward. He's running hard defensively. He's back to that sort of player he was in that he 
he does everything well in the game. Um, he kicked a couple of cracking goals. So, look, I'm being Mr. Positive here, but I am absolutely on board the Canelio train. And, yes, he is back. Oh, I love the bloke. He's not all the way back. Ah, but he is most of the way back. <laughs> I would give him say he's about 85% of the way back, which is a fantastic result for GWS and a fantastic result for him and pretty much anyone that watches footy and cares about footy plays because he looked completely drained last year. And to see him back enjoying football, I think it's just fantastic. But uh, that's the comeback, kids. We're going to move on to your first, do you believe? All right. What are we calling my players that I'm bringing to the table? The the, the breakout players. Is that the title we gave them? Yeah. Or you gave them, even though they're mine. <laughs> One may not be like the other, but uh, yeah. we just had to shoehorn him in there because yeah. we wanted to they're, talk about they're... him. They're all breakouts, but at different stages of their yeah. breakouts. So well, we've got one who's reasonably early on at the moment, uh, which I'll hand over to you. Uh, Matt Rowell. Do you believe in Matt Rowell? <sighs> Mostly. I'm not all the way there yet. Mm. He was a little down, and we still have such a small mm. sample size with him. He didn't play a great game. I know he was tagging against Melbourne, but that feels like a weird role for you to put him in if he's the guy we sort of – thought was incredible when he first started. But I do think it's inevitable that he breaks out. Like some of the stuff he can do should not be able to be done for a third-year player. He is so strong already. He had osteoitis pubis last year. I don't think he's all the way back with how powerful he was running in his first year, but he's mostly there. And I do think it's mostly for real with him. thing is... God, you... you God, you like to sit on the fence, don't you? Do you believe in Matt Rowell? Does that answer I do the question? believe in Matt Rowell. I do. Okay. <laughs> Good. Look, what I will say about, like, he was awesome in round one. Having watched the Melbourne Gold Coast game, I thought he was really good early. I didn't come away from the game thinking he played poorly by any means. He, he was more quiet, obviously. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, he's going to be a good footballer. I don't know much I think doubt he had about eight that. touches in the last three quarters when they changed his role, so... But that was more about a role change than anything else. So I do believe in Matt Rowe. Yeah. All right. Next one, Banjo. And this one's a little bit further along in his football journey. But Isaac Heaney, do you believe that he is in the uh, in the top echelon of footballers now? I think I'm going to say no. Ooh, we've got our first no. no. Okay. Dissenting opinion. I just... I think he has to play more midfield to be in the top echelon mm. of players. And... Mm. Four goals a game is not sustainable. He's great. He can do it, but he's not going to do it every single week. Mm. And when you're relying on goals to be the way you sort of elevate yourself purely to being that uh, top-line player, for a guy his height with other guys like Buddy in the team, I just don't think that's sustainable moving forward. I was expecting a bigger midfield role this year. It hasn't quite eventuated yet, but Tom Papley might be back soon. So maybe it's going to happen, but... I. Not quite yet. I think this is pretty similar to the Heaney we saw two, three years ago. He had a bad year last year, but that was mostly through injury. I'm not quite in on Heaney yet. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. The Obviously, the results which he's had in the last two weeks have been yeah. above Heaney, you know, last year and probably over the last few years. I've been but, above nearly any player. Yeah, but, well, yeah, but in terms of just sort of the way he has been playing it doesn't seem that far out of the box from the Heaney we've already seen. Like, what is there about him to suggest that he's going to go to another level apart from just the outcome? And, yeah, the question is whether that that outcome is 
going to continue to be sustainable throughout the year. So I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, he's a top 30 player at the moment, not top 10 player for me. Yeah, okay. Last one, Banjo. Another one quite early in their uh, career, and I have a feeling I know what you're going to say about this one. Tom Green. Do you believe in Tom Green? Yes, I do. I believe in Tom Green, the backup Ruckman. I saw him win way more hitouts than he should have against Nankovas last week. To be yeah, quiet. weird. Be yeah, terrible coaching from uh, from Cameron. Just played to Ruckman. You got Pro sitting right there, and Flynn got smashed. But outside of that, he is just a fantastic footballer. He yeah. does everything you want. It looks like his spread from the contest has improved immeasurably. He has always been fantastic on the inside, but being able to mix in that outside work where he can actually fill through the lines and link in the chain, he's all the way here. Yeah, Look, he's a gun. I know like it's only taken a couple of years, but I still think it's actually almost taken longer for him to have sort of a, a clear midfield role in that team. I almost expected it to happen immediately, and I was surprised yeah. that it didn't last year. I mean, he nearly but... won the rising star last year. And it would have been undeserved, but he nearly did win it. <laughs> yeah, like, but uh, yeah, he, he's there now. He's a gun. I, I have no question about him. Beautiful. So let's move on. I'm going to throw it back to you. We're going to go a bit more team-oriented from here on out. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in the Gold Coast? Uh, no, I do not believe in the Gold Coast. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced by the Gold Coast. Um. Reason being, we talked about at the start of the year, too many times I've been excited by them to begin the year. Uh, it happens every year. Yes, yep. I think that they do look like a better team. I think that there seems to be a lot more substance to their midfield than there's ever been. Yeah, definitely. I'm not convinced by the depth. I have concerns that they'll probably get a million injuries again. That happens every year with them. Um, and I still suspect at some stage, I'm sure they're improved. But at some stage, I think it will go off the rails again and we'll get to the end of the year and we'll be concerned about the Gold Coast yeah. again. Can they win eight games? I think they'll win six to eight. I six think. to eight? Okay. Six so to eight, I'll put Eight's them. the upper limit. Yeah. I Where think I'm a bit at? higher on them than you are and to no one's surprise. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to make finals or anything, but it's nice to see something... I mean, we see you. You're right. We do see it every year in the first four weeks. I think yeah. if we did a ladder of the last six seasons or something, just the first four rounds, they're top four or something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. But I believe a bit more. They've got way more sort of yeah substance in the midfield. Took Miller's great and Raul and Anderson are two bona fide stars. Mm. What's around them? You know, not all in on, but needs a bit of once work. You get yes. the, once you get the midfield right, it's a lot easier to make other players look good. Yeah, look and look, Marbior and uh, Levi have been quite good to start the year, but yeah. is that sustainable? Is that going to last? I, I, I just, I can just see things uh, the wheels coming off at some point. So that's my first no. Banjo, do you believe in Hawthorne? I want to say. I want, I want to say yes because it uh, would help me feel better about North Melbourne, but no, I don't feel good about them yet. Neither do I. <laughs> I, I think that was an outlier performance from Port, uh, and there was a lot of stuff that made that look worse than it was. Bad kicking from Port, good kicking from Hawthorne. But in saying that, they are way better than I thought they'd be. I don't think they're a wooden spoon chance anymore. I mean just on almost percentage and banking two wins alone. And the fact we know for a fact North Melbourne will win the spoon. So, yeah. Don't rule out West Coast. Who knows how long these COVID after effects last. 
Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I am uh, getting very concerned about North Melbourne winning the spoon again, but priority picks, baby. Uh, <laughs> but for Hawthorne, both games, they've played teams that haven't been able to stop them at all in their sort of transition from defensive 50 to forward 50. I said earlier, Port conceded nine goals from it. North mm. would have conceded six or seven. And that's just not sustainable, not something good teams are going to allow. And I think once that's bottled up, their midfield frailty, because they got beaten almost as badly in the clearances and contested possession by the North midfielders. They did the Port midfield. And the North midfield is not something to write home about. They are still probably the worst clearance team in the competition. And I think when they play more organized sides, that'll actually matter a lot more. Like, there's no chance they give you a... They did last year somehow, but I don't think there's any chance they give Melbourne a run for their money. Yes. given how well-structured they are defensively. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, comparing them to Melbourne's ridiculous, but I think that also goes a long way down the line before you get to plot teams that, on a good day, they'd be able to beat. Yeah, I, I think those stats which we reeled off before um, suggest the game was, you know, not all was good with them. And that's not going to happen every week, that they're going to get flogged in those key areas and still end up winning the game. So it, exactly. I think it was a bit of an outlier performance. And no, I'm not convinced by them either. Okay. Now back to me, or back to you. Do you believe in Carlton? They've had a fantastic start to the season. Am I going to be accused of being a backflip if I suggest that I do believe in them? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't believe in them now. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I do. I think I do believe in Carlton. Now, you said halfway through our commentary on a Thursday night that <laughs> you you say they were going to be a top four team. I, uh, I think you got. I think you got marginally carried away with saying that sort of thing. But uh, no, I, I do believe that they are a good team. I would have them in my top eight now without question. They may be pushing towards a top four spot. I think their um their midfield group. Looks mm. like, as we said about Gold Coast, it looks like there's some serious substance yeah, there. There looks like this character. There also looks like there's depth, of which there isn't so much at the Gold Coast. So that's what sets yeah. them apart. They've got one superstar, two key forwards, potentially two if Kerno stays fit throughout the year and uh, Damo might be onto something. Their backline, there is enough there. And for the first time in many, many years, they look structured. They look defensively mm. structured. They have a way, a clear style in which they're playing already two games into the uh, into the season. Yeah, they're midfield yeah, really are getting on top. They're using their hands. They're getting um, forward handballs. Um, and they're spreading terrifically well. So there, there are a lot of good signs about Carlton. So, yeah, unfortunately, I do believe in Carlton. Yeah, I think the most impressive thing for me on Thursday night was... When they were dominating the clearances, yes, they looked fantastic. And they've got a game plan that once they're on top in clearances, it's really going to accentuate their strengths. That's all well and good. But when the dogs got back on top, yeah. Carlton's defensive yeah. transition, or transition from defensive 50, sorry, still looked well-organized, still yeah. looked, they were patient, and yeah. they had a clear system of chipping or taking the short kicks that were allowed and then drawing a big lead from a key forward to sort of, get them that little bit further and set the contest up inside 50 instead of on that sort of no man's land between the wing and half forward flank. I thought they were just really impressive in doing the things that they just haven't been able to do for the last five years. And I think it's a big coaching change, to be honest. They just seem so much more organized and able to handle adversity more. I mean, they won a game without Mitchell, uh, sorry, Walsh and uh, Chera in the last two yeah. weeks. Yeah. The, Again, the, good sides. 
the the game was not all plan A, and they still managed to keep keep yeah. responding and keep getting it back on the terms which they wanted. So, yes, I am convinced by uh, Carlton. Last one for you, Banjo, and this one's a it's a little bit of a different look on it. Uh, do you believe that Port Adelaide are cooked? Is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, it's the first negative one. Aliyah's out for eight weeks. Charlie Dixon's no certainty when he's coming back, and it doesn't seem particularly close. And without organize, those are the two players that provide them organization at either end of the ground. And without them, I mean, Trent McKenzie as well, who's their second or third key defender, he's also been hurt the last two weeks. Surely he's battered and bruised and starting to underperform. It just seems like the injuries are getting on top of them. They haven't had development from Rosie or Dersma that they probably were expecting. Rosie in particular has been disappointing. Yeah, I mean, he was talked about as though he was going to finally uh, live up to the promise he showed in his first year. But He's better than Sam Walsh, though. <laughs> that was almost the foundation of the Cane Corns call of the week. Yeah, it was uh, up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's barely touched the ball either week and just seems completely lost in the forward line. And, yeah, they just look completely disorganized, which is uncharacteristic for a Ken Hinckley side. Are they cooked? No, they're not going to finish bottom four or where they're they're last on the ladder at the moment. They're not going to do that. (laughs) No. They're also not going to win the flag and Ken Hinckley will get sacked though. So there you go. Yes, they are cooked compared to expectations. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to call that a yes, that they are cooked. Which means you've doubled down on Port Adelaide this podcast. So I'm sure all the millions of our Port fans are going to be pretty angry at you. Yeah, when we were planning this podcast, I was like, let's throw in Port to the end of the Do You Believe sessions. I don't think we'll talk about them otherwise. I feel like it's all I've talked about. You, you <laughs> forgot that you also had that as your big call. But, uh, that's what's going on. We've, we're moving past it. We're going to ignore that. Uh, that just about wraps us up. We will get to Will Brody Watch at some point. We've just got to record a song. Yeah, weekend job. We? Yeah, we did think it would be last weekend and then we didn't. So let's say we'll do it this weekend and we'll see whether or not we do. We, we, we promised one song. We did bring one song. It we just wasn't the one, one that we song. expected. But now we'll have two weeks in a row of a song. So even better. Yeah, very, very exciting. And as we said at the top, we're back on Hijack TV this Saturday at 4.35 for the Gold Coast GWS game. Looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully that's enjoyable. And then I will cry myself to sleep when North play Brisbane later that night. Go the days. <laughs> oh, Sorry, why are there two games on Friday night? We don't have time to talk about it. Why are there two games on Friday night? And why is one of them the showdown? It's yeah. it's very strange. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Discussion we'll talk- for next week. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back next week. <laughs>